I usually just jump right into the conversation, and most times I just have like a very basic opening question. But for you, I feel like you're like fam. So like, <laughs> I I I mean, like I have always admired your work because like like obviously ever since I was a kid, my mom has had your painting in her house, and I was always like, oh like who is this person? You know, like when you're little, you're kind of just like confused about everything about life. But I was always just like, like, this is super cool. That Like I have a cousin that's so deep into the arts and is like incredible, like actually is an incredible artist. Like I have this little wannabe painting behind me, but like you have like this incredible technique to be able to capture all of these incredible facets to reproduce different sceneries or people. And I'm curious, have you always been really interested in art or like how did you kind of find your way into the arts? You know, like whenever anybody asks me that question, I think about the first statement I always tell, oh, I was always into the arts. I was inspired by my uncle since yeah. the age of six. Now it's like 31 years later. Am I saying the same thing? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Like art, art for me right now is just life. It's just something that I do. It comes very natural. And I think even at that young age, I recognize it, but I didn't know what exactly it was mm. until I grew up and I grew a deeper consciousness of myself and who I was and what I wanted to um, be a represent and what my life purpose was in life, you know? So mm. it kind of was attached to, to that just self-discovery and, and expressing myself. Art was my language and that's how I, I, I communicated, you know, how my feeling, whether it's poetry or paintings or anything like that. Yeah. And like, how, when were you first like exposed to art and you were like, oh, this is fun. Like, I like this. Like, this seems like something that I really want to like learn more about or like get better at and like actually develop technique at, you know? Yeah. Um, I think when I started taking lessons with Ruby Butte, I was about maybe 13 or 13 or 14 years old. Awesome. And um, I mean, I've always been painting and drawing and I was pretty good at it. And I always wanted to try different mediums and explore and do my own thing. But when I started to be around her circle and understand her lifestyle and, and see what art did for her as an artist, you know, that's recognized and how she lived solely from that, I was like, yeah, this is something that I could really know. But um, yeah, I was inspired at that age. And then, you know, you grow up and then you go through this whole life process and you kind of disconnect from that first thought, you know. But I always used to say, I want to be an artist. I want to be an artist. Six, but understanding what that was at age six, I didn't have no idea until I was 14. And I'm like, yeah. this is what it is really about, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, just growing through it, going to college and not studying art was a big thing because I had to put it on the side to get a, a practical job. And then when I left college my last year, I was like, nah, bump this. I, I want to be an artist. And then that's just where it, it just began. I just continued investing and in exploring in the arts. Yeah, because I was going to say, like, did you feel like the community was supportive of, like, trying to be an artist? Because I feel like, like, at least when I grew up, there is a large push for, like, dancers on the island. Like, I feel like as a community, we do support, like, our dancers a lot. And I've seen like more as of late, like there is maybe more support for like our artists and recognizing like who our painters are, our poets and stuff like that. But I feel like when 
when you were kind of figuring out or navigating this path, did you feel like there was a lot of at least like maybe people that you could admire outside of like maybe Ruby Butte and like obviously she's always been a prominent figure but I guess like has there always been like support in kind of like carving out this space to be like a professional artist within at least St. Martin well I would like yeah no my my immediate surroundings was my mom and my family they were very supportive you know outside of that you have your art teachers and it was like you know it's a good um career but I always have a plan B because I always hear the term struggling artist or you only really make money from your art when you die. And, and it's very discouraging. So that's, that, that is the main reason why I didn't, ha- I don't have a degree in art because mm. that was my first selection. I was like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to study, um, study like um, interior design or I don't even know what it was, graphic designing at this university in Florida. And that was my first pick. And then, you know, you go through the whole process with signing up to get a scholarship with the government and so forth. They do these interviews, they look at your grades, they look at your career selections. And and that was the first real moment in my life where I realized that, you know, life isn't what you, you make it because a lot of people have influence on what you decide to do. And having that meeting with the counselor, I know she was just doing her job protocol, but she just shut down that idea and said, oh, no, we won't study finance. financing has been yeah. crushing dreams for the Yeah, longest. yeah, yeah. She was legit. She just said, your grades are great, but um, we're not going to support your your career choice in the arts because arts, artists don't contribute to society to something like in economics or whatever. And I'm like, oh, wow. And I literally, after that moment, I gave up on art. She don't, she don't, she doesn't even know like the effect that that one statement it stuck with me from it's seventeen extreme. to twenty one. And I like, you know, I I just like art would be the plan B, and I just have to get a business degree and or have a business and do restaurant hospitality or whatever, whatever. But um, yeah, that was the impact. That was there was no one saying, you know, you can do it or. Once you get to Holland, you could switch and do, you know, a study in the arts. And there was no one to guide you through that process. So you just had to sink or swim, you know. It really breaks my heart to hear that study financing has been crushing children's dreams even before I was born. Like, I used to really think, like, okay, maybe it was just me. Because even I had, like, great grades and I went to them and I was like, yeah, I want to be an engineer. And they were like, no, you don't have what it takes to, to make it through. And I was like how would you know? I was just like, I was so heartbroken because I was like, how the hell do y'all even know? None of y'all have studied any of the things these kids want to go out and be, but you somehow are the guardian of who's going to make it in life because of whatever you've been through. And it like breaks my heart to hear that because for her to even say to you, like arts don't have a value in our country. And then to see like all the impact you have had literally because of like your passion for arts and for the culture, it just blows my mind. Like what would have happened if, or like how many people, these people have crushed their dreams to the point where they actually did give up, where they were like, whatever it is I really want to do, I'm not going to do that anymore because these people are telling me that I can't do it and I won't be successful at it. And I don't know what it takes like to have that like self-confidence to push through those naysayers, but I feel like there's so many people, especially in our country, that go through that same experience. And it's wild to me that like nobody has tried to argue with these people or change them or realize like hey like there's a problem going on here when you have 
the same story literally being repeated like about how these people you go there and you're like yes i need money to help me facilitate my dream and they're like screw your dream it's never gonna work out (laughs) just think that's not what we need next yeah it's it's difficult you know and i i you know in the beginning when i had this draft it was like i'm going to prove this person wrong you know it's like nah i'm going to prove this I'm going to create platforms for young people so that they could express mm-hmm. themselves. I'm going to make connections so that they can see that you can really live off of your art and you don't have to be a struggling artist, you know? And then at some point I realized like it, it's not even about her, you know? It's about everybody else that you know, I've, I've connected through, through my part of the, the developing who I am as an individual and who I am as an artist. And she played a very... At the moment, I used to think she played a very significant role, that she pivoted my, my thinking. But she played a very minuscule role in the whole point. Is At the end of the day, regardless of what she said, I still became who I was destined to be, even though I took the longer route, you know? I mean, I would have loved a degree in arts. I would have loved to go to, to design school. I would have loved to live in that community and artists from all over the world. But um, because I took a different route, at this point in my career, career it was take because um, unlike many artists, they don't have a good understanding of business and how to navigate that end of their business, you know. And I have the best of both worlds, so to speak. And it's like two two opposing worlds. It's not easy because I lead with my heart and my passion, but then my business sense is like that's not practical, you know. So I'm always having a fight with myself. But at the end of the day, I make a sound decision. And it and ten years later, I'm still, you know, creating and living off of my art, you know, because of those lessons that I learned. I know you are here killing it, like clearly proving we are not starving artists out here in these streets. But so your degree, you went to the Netherlands to study business. See, I didn't even notice. Like I'm like you, my whole cousin, and I didn't even notice. Yeah, I went to the Netherlands. I think I was 17. That was in 2002. And I have a bachelor's degree in uh, international facility management, business administration. And um, yeah, I, as I, I think, I mean, maybe five years ago, I was the only one. But I think I'm, there are other accredited facility managers on the island now. But at the time, I was the only one. I said, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go all the way. So I got um, accredited this. Um, the International Facility Management Association. It's a big world thing. And I have this and I'm like, eh, what, what am I going to do with it? You know, it doesn't make sense. I don't think I want to be a facility manager. I actually got a job in government as a facility manager at the head of purchasing. And I did that for like four years. And I was like, is this the rest of my life? And I got depressed. And I'm like, like no. um, this can't be it. And I quit my job and everybody thought I was ridiculous because I, I studied the job, every, the goal. And I'm walking away from what everybody's working towards. And I say, but it's not my shoes. It's, it doesn't fit. And it feels so uncomfortable. And then I got, um, you know, I was already starting to paint and making a little noise in the industry. So I got a job as a creative director for Brenda Watty. And I, I was her designer for like uh, about three and a half years. Um, and then I started um, Funtopia during that process. But I say that to say this. It's, sometimes you think you have this straight goal, like, I want to be this. And it, it, you end up all over the place. But yes, you kind of end up the same place. But a lot of stumbling, discouragement, a lot of emotional trauma. 
But at the end of the day, you just have to just be true to who you are and what you're about and, and just, you know, screw the naysayers. Exactly. Exactly. I, I feel like that's so awesome to see. I'm happy in our bloodline. At least we have this strong belief in self. I'm like, yes. Yes. <laughs> you have to know who you are. Yeah, exactly. That's a important thing because if you don't know who you are, you could easily be swayed and discouraged and, and, and influenced by people who don't really mean you well. It's like a lot of people might be clapping for you, but there are really few that really clap like with intentions, you know? Some yeah, of them exactly. are clapping to bail and you're thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they mess you up down the line. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> That's wild. That is so wild. I guess like when did you feel like you really hit like your stride as an artist and people were like, Lucinda, Lucinda, like buy her work. Like, I guess like when were you getting to that point where people were like competitively bidding for your pieces? Because like when I finally, I feel like as an as a child recognized like who you were, like I just remember the story that my mom gave. She was like, yeah, like this painting, like your cousin made it and I had to fight the governor to buy it because this man was trying to outbid me. And I had to be like, no this piece is mine and so I was like oh wow like my cousin's a successful artiste like she got people out here fighting over her work but I'm curious like for you when did you feel like you got to that place where people were like championing your work or wanting to commission pieces by you wow did you see there are so many different facets of my work um like the painting, like the visual arts that I was really pushing that at the beginning of the career because I thought, yeah, I'm going to make it as a painter, you know? And it was probably like when I came back in 2008 and then I connected with this um, art, art gallery in Miami and they did this Caribbean diaspora, diaspora um, exhibition in New York, in Manhattan. And she selected me as an up-and-coming artist to travel with the group to go and exhibit over there. And I'm around like hundreds, literally hundreds of Caribbean artists in New York exhibiting their work in this huge, um, it's like this warehouse space. And, you know, every section has different galleries, different curators, different individuals who are showcasing their work. And me just preparing to go, like I had a pre-show to say, okay, these are the stuff I'm going to show and this is what I'm going to do in New York. And I was just basically doing what you do, you know, you promote yourself, you, you keep going. But I was never paying attention to the traction that I was developing behind of me, you know, mm -hmm. until I got to New York and I'm there with all of these artists. And, you know, she did her own promotion to, to, to hype it up. And I was one of, I was the youngest artist on her, on her list. I think I was 22 or 23, 23. And it was a big deal. Like, these people are so excited to see the work. And so, you know, and these are not even my Caribbean St. Martin people. It's these people from, like, in Guyana and, 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 and Cuba and, and different Puerto Rican artists. And they was like, oh, it's so excited. And I'm like, it's excited to meet me, you know? So when I came home, my, that opened my eyes about the work I was actually doing home, you know, and it, it, it resonated. Yeah. I'm like, wow, you know, I have something going on here that is, is not just local. It's like, you know, it's on a larger scale. And for myself, I say I have to maintain that level, that quality to represent myself. And it was never 
a local artist. I always thought, I always think international. And that's why the quality of the work that I put out is never, it doesn't, it's local, but it doesn't uh, chippy choppy kind of vibe, you know? I, I make sure the quality is always there. And people always get the impression, even with the company, oh, this is something from America. And they don't even associate and they don't know who created it. They always think it's some white lady down living in Lowland. She came here and she started this company. And it had to be, she have some yachts and whatnot. I was like, wow, when am I going to get a yacht? That is the <laughs> reputation people have. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, that is literally. So wild. It has some clients that I work, like sometimes I send people out to work. So you never really see me. I'm always behind the scenes. But then it had an event that I actually worked on Porter Cooper Coy and the lady paid me. She was um, everything was perfect and I really appreciate what that she's doing. And I'm like, and she's adamantly saying that she knows my boss very well. And I'm thinking, you know my boss. You know, I could have been the typical person and be like, well, you know it's me. But I just yeah. let her stay in that zone and I walked away thinking who the hell do these people think my company and I'm like should I even say something I was like I was confused I was like my company you just paid it was a confusing moment for me I'm like this thing has taken on a whole life of its own you know and and those things are like humbling moments but then I decided to like do more like public appearances and and you know press releases and visuals and videos and and I created the 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 Fontopia web documentary series so they can actually see you know it's a little island girl yes but I'm not like you know my my work is not little island girl quality and please don't associate down lowlands you know more power to her but that's not who this belongs to to me that's just so straight up like I would be so speechless to have someone tell me that they think that, like, just the fact that they think that only something good could come out of someone that's not a St. Martiner, and it had to be some foreign entity that gave its money to us out of charity for us to have anything good or have to sh- to prove the fact that they think that we don't even have standards for ourselves and that we need to somehow abide by, like, some white standard of excellence because we don't have that internal motivation is like I take that as a slap in the face like I'm low-key like you held yourself back I'm ready to fight this woman like oh my god like how dare she I'm just like I don't understand like even you to commission a business yes it happens I mean when you're working out there you experience a lot of stuff but it just um it's little boxes that is being checked. Like, okay, you got to fix that. You got to fix this. You got to fix that. And I keep it moving because at the end of the day, it's a client and I need your money. So I'm not going to make you feel. And she keeps calling. She keeps calling. And so I'm happy. It's okay. Maybe one day she, she recognized like, oh, crap, that was actually the boss. And maybe she felt bad. And she was like, okay, let me just, let me just not pretend like I didn't just... Yeah, yeah, that was an awkward moment for her. But. <laughs> <laughs> now for a message from our sponsors. 
thank you for supporting this podcast. If you are enjoying this episode, share it with a friend and leave us a review. It 100% helps us grow this podcast and get our message out there to help and inspire others. Have thoughts or opinions you want to share? Join the conversation on Anchor or on Spotify. I love to hear from you all and I can't thank you enough for your support. With that, let's get back to the good stuff. That is wild. I can't because I know like you were mentioning to me like the because now you have Funtopia, which I'm curious like how that whole endeavor started. But I know like you were mentioning even because it's a nonprofit and you have to file grants and stuff like that's a whole headache in itself. And I'm curious, like, have you felt like you've had like the process has also been difficult as like a woman of color also from the Caribbean to find grants that would really understand like the whole vision of yeah of Funtopia without trying to whitewash it or like do any weirdness to it man that question is so loaded so I'm gonna have to take at least 20 minutes to explain you what's going on good Um, so when we started um Funtopia was a concept and at the time I was doing body arts by La Rich all over the place I was painting in the clubs the strip clubs and churches everywhere, birthday parties, I was painting. So I started um, training people my age because I wasn't working with young people at the time. We go out there doing body painting for events and, and it got wild. Um, but working with persons my age, they have different responsibilities. They have kids, they get, they're sick, they got, they're not in the mood, you know. Um, so it started to get complicated where people stop showing up when they had to show up or you're just left stand, stranded or the quality of the work isn't what you want it to be. So then I had to take a step back. Um, I've been traveling from, I started my body painting career in 2010 to this uh, international face and body art convention in, um, well, it moves from Orlando to Fort Lauderdale. So I think we, I've been to it about eight times. It helped me formulate the concept of what Funtopia is supposed to be. And before it was called Funtopia, that the Funtopia brand existed um, something else. It's like this amusement center in America. I thought I created a whole world. I was like, I created a whole world. You did not do that. So it existed in a different kind of Started Funtopia in St. Martin. I did an audition with young um, persons. And the idea was to start clowning for clowns to say okay we could do face painting and clowns and stuff like that so we used to meet up at the library as we got kicked out because we were too noisy um they were making too much noise uh and then eventually we moved our trainings to to the emilia wilson park on saturdays so then we Mm -hmm. used quite a bit of time and then you know they a friend and, and, you know, like-minded young persons with the same type of vibe always connected. And that's how it grew. And as more people come in, the more I travel, then I realized, okay, we could do clowning, we could do dance performances. And it started to just expand over the years with a lot of struggle because teenagers, you have to repeat 15 times before they actually hear you. And that's where I developed a strong sense of um, patience, patience of Job is there but when we started Funtopia we started as a business and in that 
it was the uh, the fund. It was a fund. What is it called again? It was this source fund with culture, and I can't remember the name of the fund. Mm-hmm. But I got a call from Clara Reyes, and um, she was meeting with Arlene Newhausen and Nicole the Weaver, and they was discussing this was going out of commission and they had 4 million euros to invest into the culture and the arts in St. Martin. And 4 million? Time, oh yeah. my gosh, that's a lot. So, <laughs> so you know, um, they were doing it in all of the, the former the, uh, Dutch Antillian Island, but they specifically came to St. Martin because there's an issue where um, St. Martin organization enough projects, you know, they're not uh, or they're not qualifying for the project. So they had all these meetings to discuss how to write your grant, how to do your proposal, make sure you have a board. And I'm sitting there. At the time, I only had a, a sole proprietorship business. I did not have a foundation, mm-hmm. um, which was Larich Arts, doing body painting for adults and so forth. And I was trying to boost up Funtopia to make it something else. And it, it was a decision to either become a foundation and apply for the grant or just... Uh, another branch of your business and just continue doing what you're doing. Um, so I decided because I didn't have a board, I had no understanding of nonprofit organizations. I just continue running. And what we did is like a large part of the process, we just reinvested it. And that's how the company keep growing. We just constantly keep reinvesting it. Mm-hmm. Um, up until 2014, I had a full-time job. So I was working and my salary was basically going back to keep the the business going. It's not smart, as I learned. It's not a smart business. Your personal and your private and you have to get the business. The business has to create its own funds. Yep. I learned a lot of things that I did to build the business to what it was. I did incorrectly, but it created what it is now. And, you know, you learn through mistakes as well. So fast forward to present. Because of all of the work, and we passed through hundreds of kids, and we did hundreds of initiatives for young people and do training, that it called, no, you can't run it as a business anymore. You need additional funding. So then I got a board, finally, and then we submitted and we created the foundation, and then now it's like searching for grants and what can we do now, you know? And I felt like I missed that opportunity and I felt we would have been further along in 2012 had I created a foundation then. But mm. at the end of the day, I look at those, um, these mishaps as learning curves, you know? And if I had um, created a foundation then, I wouldn't have the, the understanding of the industry or, or, or knowing how we could create a, a unique niche in the market for us. So practically what our foundation does is carved through because of what the company created. We created our own model where we have these young people. We created the platform and we created um, learning opportunities for them to constantly be trained and have an opportunity to work as a, you know young apprentice and generate income. No other foundation is doing that. And that's the way. Right now, a lot of foundations do not have a strong business model and they're failing. And what we've did, trial and error, in those 10 years is create a business model that could sustain the foundation so that we could constantly be generating money um, from that sense. It's a tricky thin line between nonprofit and profit that I'm learning right now, but now I have access to funds where I can have legal advice. 
these experts point me in the right direction. And that's where we are now, 10 years later. Now we have a foundation. It's, it's um, three years old right now. Um, and yeah, we just got this grant for $73,000 to continue the work that we're doing. So I say that it's a long journey and a long process, but we're here now and we have grants just sending us information for us to apply. So I have like six grants to apply for funds because of the unique niche that we created for ourselves with working with young people and uh, especially with UNESCO. Um, they are in very excited about our project where we, we are reviving one of their culture, cultural heritage, um, uh, intangible cultural heritage niches. So we literally revived the art of stilt walking from St. Martin. Um, and uh, we went with learning stilt walking on our own, like stilt walkers. And we've trained hundreds of stilt walkers since. And now we have an after-school program where we'll be able to train over 290-something stilt walkers. And that's a program that it does not just teach you the art of stilt walking, but it educates you in cultural heritage and West African culture. Um, we have a very cool curriculum. I connected with this uh, this trainer. She's a ex. She's a human resource professional trainer, Catherine Burns, who's been helping me structure our curriculum so that we have a solid impact. So it's not just you know the kids learning to walk. They yeah. learn, you know, they learn the lingo, they learn the language, they learn you know spiritual beliefs. So it's a it's a compact program where now we could connect with other stilt walking institutions in the Caribbean, like Trinidad and St. Croix, because of the work we're doing. And we can expand it even more because it's not just an after-school program. We have a branch where we te we're teaching young adults, 13 to 27. This whole experience of everything that happened, we have a unique opportunity to rewrite our history because in the history books of St. Martin, that one little book we have, Cultural um, National Symbols, there's literally one line that talks about stilt walking in St. Martin, dating back up to uh, the early 1900s. So right now we're going to create a documentary to write our history, write books um, for primary school level, high school level. Love it. Love yeah, it. so we have so many projects just coming up. It's one initiative um, and a lot of grants wanting us to submit so that they could support what we're doing so we could continue uh... the work. No, that is incredible. Like, absolutely incredible. I was going to ask you, like, how did you first figure out, like, that Silt Walkers was even a part of our history and, like, actually figuring out that history? Because I'll tell you, I don't know jack squat about anything tied to St. Martin's history or culture or anything. Like, anything that I haven't just experienced myself as a St. Martiner, I couldn't tell you jack squat about anything but i can definitely remember with clarity the events that i would go to in school and they would have stilt walkers coming over from anguilla to perform and like you would see obviously like funtopia and carnival and like having all of the walkers and like to me to even do that is like hella impressive just in and of itself to get up on these sticks and to actually move and then to dance and do all of these like cool performances is like just mind-blowing but, like, I guess I'm curious, like, yeah, what was, like, that history as it ties to St. Martin? Or, like, how did you discover this kind of dying part of our culture that you were able to really show people, like, hey, like, this is this is who we are. Like, we should be sh teaching this to our people. Yeah. 
And it was really a uh, trial and error, like everything. Um, I got a call from a client. They were doing this massive campaign for um, elections. And back then, they used to make these election um, campaign parties, like concerts. And they wanted stilt walkers. And it was like, oh, do you guys have stilt walking? I said, I know a few stilt walkers. We weren't doing it at the time. This was in 2016, I think. 2015, 14. And I called up... Um, this guy from the Capuella group, I forgot his name. Oh gosh, don't kill me Tyrone. if you hear it. Tyrone. He said, I'm so sorry, I'm off island. Um, the stilt walking group doesn't exist anymore because he's living in Brazil now. I'm like, oh snap. I said, all right, no problem. So I called back the client and say, unfortunately, we don't have stilt walkers on the island anymore. And she's like, well, Lucinda, you can do it. Can you just get some stilts and get your people to walk on sticks? And I'm like, well, I guess so, you know? So I called the group up and was like, anybody have experience with still walking? None of them. So we had like maybe maybe three weeks before the event. I brought these stilts in. They learned how to still walk, and we had still walking at the event. That's how it happened. And um, during the process, everything I do, I like to do research. research. So I said, okay, what is this whole still walking thing about? You know, let me just get into it. And I just dived right into a rabbit hole and... Yeah, six years later, we have the largest stilt walking group. It was very unintentional. I did not go looking for it, and that's exactly how it happened. But I don't like to do anything just to do it, you know, for the cause or just for that moment. You know, we, we, I continue to invest in creating these stills, looking for persons. I even brought in a, a professional stilt walker from Trinidad to work with the group so they could have an understanding of it. And it was a learning experience for me because he taught us about the spiritual connection with your stilts, you know, and, and how you should treat your stilts and, and naming your stilts and Makujumbi culture and all of these stuff. It was mm -hmm. mind-blowing for me. And I'm like, wow, this is so interesting. And I like things that intrigue me. And then I'm, I'm, it's a bit of addiction. I was like, okay, good. Let me see how, what type of stilts he used, what type of wood he used, how do you build your stuff? Mm. And then I have an uncle that's very good in carpentry, and then they connected, and then it went from there. We create our own stilts, the wooden ones that in Trinidad. And um, anytime there's anything with stilt walking, people recognize us for that, and then they always connect. So I had um, this guy from St. Kitts, he came over, and he was like, oh, the way you're doing this is totally wrong. That's not how we do it in St. Kitts. And I'm like, oh, but this is how we were taught how to do it from this guy in Trinidad. It's like nonsense. Trinidadians don't know nothing about stilt walking. You know the whole cultural ego thing. And I'm yeah, like, okay. that's too funny. That's too funny. <laughs> They're like, nah, 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 not that <laughs> way, not that no, way. <laughs> yeah, like, this is how you're supposed to do it. So those opportunities I never take. I am very open to criticism, even negative, deconstructive criticism. There's something to get from it, you know, even if it's just a little hate going on. Um, but then it made me open up my mind on like how to construct these stilts. And we have some stilts that we've been using for the last six, seven years because they're built so strong, you know, and they can do all kinds of tricks and stunts. So because of all of that trial and error, I somewhat became a stilt walking expert. Never walked on stilts in my life, but I've trained hundreds of stilt walkers. You're and like, I go do it, but hey, yeah, I got the process. <laughs> You got to do one, two, one, two, one, two, and then just keep your eyes off the ground. <laughs> and I've trained a lot of people. I did my research and I invest in that time. You know, those things that you got to learn how to do. And a lot of things that people aren't willing to do, I do it because I know 
what the end result is going to be. And I say that to say this with the whole still walking culture, I'm creating that documentary because we failed to do that hundreds of years ago or tens of years ago, whatever the situation was. We didn't do it. So why not do it now and do it correctly? And anything we do, we got to make a little noise because the other islands don't believe that St. Martin still walkers exist or we had anybody doing it. And because we used to be so public, just practicing on a boardwalk, I stumbled on some very interesting information with these elders. It was like, yeah, we always had stilt walkers, and it's not the same kids stilt walkers that we had. When there was salt picking, people used to use stilts to cross the salt pan, where parts wow. of the salt, the salt pan was not um, hardened. So they used the stilts to cross the, the pond to get the hard salt and then bring it back over. That is our self. That's our story right there. You know, it's wow. not bringing in sink. It's still walkers to take part in our carnival. We literally use functionally use stilts to pick salt. And that's our history. That is so incredible. Like one way to stay dry for sure. <laughs> it's just awesome. But don't get crusty with all that salt. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. I guess I'm curious, like, how do you get parents to be like, okay, I'll let, I'll give you my kid Lucinda to teach them how to walk on these sticks and not break a bone and like fall? Because I've seen these little kids up there, and I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we got a lot of young. We have more young kids between the ages of five and and twelve than we have senior stilt walkers. But what it is, um, we we partnered with UNESCO, um, and then. We work with after-school programs, and it was just an additional, you know, to get this program into the schools. But in general, getting parents to be involved or allow kids to participate in Fontopia in general was never easy because they never saw it as something that is worth their while. It's always it's a gimmick. Oh, you're going to be a clown. You get a better occupation, do sports. You're going to be a banker. You don't need that. You know, I've had parents pull young people out of because they didn't understand what they were doing um and a very interesting story with um some young persons that you know they're they're, they're born here but their parents are of haitian descent mm. they look down on 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 people that do like paint their face white because they see it as something that is not good you know like degrading and or supporting like white supremacy it, or ex- some shit like that exactly <laughs> so they're like no um i don't want my child involved with that but the girls they love because we create this kind of a safe haven and they could be themselves and they can grow and they could feel comfortable. So uh, it had a moment where these girls were working, you know, constantly out there and they were making money and they were bringing home money and they were paying bills. The parents would personally come to see me and great their children are doing and and I'm looking at them, okay, but you didn't want them to join though. But like, weren't we you the same one that was like, clowns yeah. don't make bread? Yeah, now they're making more bread than they are making in their regular life. So it's 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 a lot of a lot of ups and downs we had with parents, but now they see it. You know, when we had our first Caribbean tour in 2016, we did Dominica, Sebastia, um, in Anguilla. We took uh, we did a lot of different performances that summer in all of these islands. And the love and appreciation we get when we are over there, it's like, oh, we just, we're so happy, excited for Topia's coming. It's like celebrities. We had our own private chauffeur. They gave us meals. We had our own hotel room. That, hey, like, hey. like a celebrity. We even had plane drivers fly us over to, to um, where we went to, um, to Stacia 
first class only. That's right. <laughs> and and then you think about wow, the impact like you have on these young person's life that never flew anywhere, you know? Precisely. And then you open up their minds. So the parents, once they see their kids getting these experiences that they can't give them, it they encourage them to continue and they use it as like, okay, if you're not doing good, I'm going to call Miss Lucinda and you're not going to be in the... Yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel like I was in a lot of stuff in school, but I never really... Because I know you tried to recruit me in a Fontopia for a minute, but like I was into boys at that time, so I was like, not, yeah. not really. Your mom, it was your mom committed. She needs to get house. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll go to the library. Uh, wink, wink. <laughs> but um, no, I I've always admired like even as a kid, like seeing your institution anytime I went to an event and I knew like Funtopia was there there was like a part of me that was like that was like that's my family like that is lit like I I just felt like this like pride because I'm like well that is my family my family out here running things changing culture having impact and like even as a kid like I remember like distinctively in carnival where there would be clowns you know that were black clowns that would make like balloons and all of these things for kids and it's like small things like that but you don't really realize that things until you're older like what an impact that has on just your upbringing or your sense of community or your sense of belonging in a culture and like when I leave and I hear about like other people's stories of their upbringing or at least like how their countries value their culture and then I look at St. Martin I just always feel like there's so much more room we have to grow and that's like so much opportunity for us to really just like show the world our voice as St. Martin because I feel like we are freaking awesome like I feel like I never understood why like people never value just like who we are and what we have to give because I'm like guys we're literally awesome like all of us from the way that we talk to the way that we behave the way that we interact with each other even if we don't look the same like that is awesome but it never really like like most people will get their dreams crushed and they'll never have the opportunity to see what it could become because like I have no doubt Funtopia will be all over the region getting events maybe in Europe America you have fleets all over just like doing spreading St. Martin's culture because like you know like how in Florida and Canada they have like those pretend like carnival events to like mimic Caribbean culture Fantopia could totally be a part of that, you know, and you have stilt walkers that bring our culture so that people recognize the Caribbean is not just Jamaica and Trinidad. Like there's there we exist. Like we here too, you know. But like of all the students that have passed through Fantopia, I'm curious, like, cause now you have like an alumni network almost, because you have kids that are already they're in college right now or they're done college. And I'm curious, like how has like, or at least like, how have you felt like their impact or Funtopia's impact has been on them? Because I noticed like a lot of the people that I know that have been in Funtopia, they're like radio hostesses now and they're like all married or like they're out here, you know, being dancers, choreographing for all sorts of different brands overseas. And I'm sure like that must feel so good to know that you're helping push these kids to figure out that they can they can feel empowered to go after whatever it is they want to do and there's a way it's only when you you take a moment and you look back 
and you you see like the impact of what you've created the inspiration and i maintain contact with everybody um i don't know how we do it but i always like say hey how are you how what's going on or whenever i visit um to see what's happening now or they want to work you know um and they fall right back in you know they fall right back in and it's amazing. Like the first group that we had from 2012, most of those um, young men, it was them. It was a specific group. They used to do break dancing on the boardwalk and then they skateboarding. It wasn't the usual Caribbean boys. They're in Holland and they're doing massive stuff. They're doing crazy stuff. Like James, James is, is doing great stuff. He's choreographing and he has his own dance school um, with his partner. And Tristan is yeah. just touring all over the place, dancing for like big events and big sponsors and things like that. And Selena, whenever she comes, and I really appreciate Selena because she 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 is a speaker and she she likes to motivate the young ones. And um, I always use her story to tell them, you know, you don't know where you're gonna end up. You know, I have you doing little like performances locally, but at the end of the day, I'm giving you a life skill that you could take wherever you go in the world. Every, you know, in a small island, you're thinking like, well, I ain't going nowhere, so I'm not, you know, it doesn't resonate. And Selena, she started still walking with me, and now she has her own company in, in, in Europe where she still That's walks. Right. She travels to Belgium, and she's in the a professional dancer. She has a degree in dance, but her competitive edge is still walking. There's no one that can stilt like her, you know, because she has that fluidity from dancing, and then she does it on the stilts. So she gets these amazing gigs all over the place in Europe, and she all like you know reconnects us. Like you would send me pictures or tell me you wouldn't believe what she just did, and she's so appreciative of you know what I gave her without knowing, you know, unintentionally. Just meeting her as an individual, do this, and you can you doing it, and now she has a career, her own business, doing it. Yeah, a lot oh, that's of that's awesome. Like that. That's so yeah. awesome. That's, okay, have... I remember seeing her talk about like her circus gig, and I only danced with her for a little bit at the motion school, but no, she's phenomenal. She's always yeah. been, I feel like, has a great spirit in general. Yes. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. And it makes me very proud to see, you know, um, my life legacy, you know, God forbid if anything has to happen to them, you know, whatever little significant. Um, moment they experience, they would always remember that, and they would continue. You know, I don't know who would carry on the burden of Funtopia when I go because it's a heavy one. Um, because I realized not a lot of people have patience with teenagers. Oh, one parent came up to me and she was like, "She doesn't know how I do it. I could be so chill that I could relate to them on whatever level they're on, but they have such a level of respect for me because when I get serious, everybody straighten up like I'm like a." a very strict um person when it comes to, to discipline and so forth but i play the line very well i dance between or oh, i just chill and then get real serious and then they know what what time it is but they get stuff done and i say it's a level of respect you give kids you know and you allow them to be themselves and they mm -hmm. can express themselves and sometimes they just want to talk story that don't make no sense and you know five years down the line it would not matter the main fact that you allow them to just speak and express themselves in that moment, they feel appreciated because they just won't be heard. And I listen. I have so many stories in my head. I think, you know, when I retire, I'll make some really great books. 
too funny. <laughs> Teenage tea is the best. I swear. I swear. Everything is life is over, and she take my man, and he don't like me, and it's just a whole. It's a whole. I swear. It's a whole. I reality TV show in it of itself. Like it's just. But that is so awesome. I think it's great for teenagers, especially on the island, to have people that they feel like won't judge them for being who they are. Because I feel like that that there isn't as much as St. Martin is a friendly island and like we have this whole, you know, motto of how we're all friendly and everything. Like, I feel like as people, we don't really I feel like have all of those great safe spaces to just be who we are and to just like speak who we are and hope that there's somebody out there that will like just see us in our individual you know in our individuality and actually like give us space and appreciate who we are and I feel like kids when they hear when they see an adult that actually cares about them and they have like good intentions and they're not just out here to discipline them and parent them but they're actually invested in their growth like you see like kids are able to give respect, but like you have to give them a reason to respect you. And I feel like most times adults just take this like dictator role where they're like, I'm in charge and you have to listen to me instead of understanding like kids just rebel against that because they're already like, oh, OK, so you just want to be this boss of me. And so my inclination is obviously instantaneously to just do the opposite of what you say. But if you're coming at it from more of like, okay, this is what I need you to do. This is why I need you to do this. This is why this is going to help you. Um, hopefully that will, you know, corral them. But like you said, teens are stubborn. Very stubborn. But it works because they, they understand. And one thing, though, I don't work with rude people. Leave your attitude at the door. And I've, I've worked with some characters that are very rude and they can be rude to their teammates. But they're not rude to me. They humble themselves real fast because I would cut your joy off real fast. You won't be here. You just got to act right. <laughs> you just got to act right. So I got some great actors in the group. Very great actors in the group because they know how to act right so that they can stay a part of the group. But it's a discipline. You have to set your boundaries and your rules and regulations so that they could abide by them. Yeah. And I know you have to get to an event soon, but like, how can people connect with you if they want to buy your art or commission pieces from you, or maybe they just want to come to a show or they want to send their kids to Fontopia? Like how, how do folks keep up with Lurich? Well, um, I want to do some rebranding for my artwork, my visual arts, my paintings. So I've been um, behind the scenes, just building some work so I could relaunch the whole that rich experience because mm. over the last years i've been just focusing on Fontopia. right now i'm in my costume room okay <laughs> that's what you guys are hearing listeners you're hearing her go through all all the trinkets <laughs> that's super cool it's it's chaotic um yeah, <laughs> yeah so la rich arts is gonna be rebranded sometime this year i believe that's the goal um but Fontopia, you can find me on Facebook, Fontopia SXM, uh, or a Instagram page is the same thing. And then for the foundation, if you're between 5 to 12, you could definitely register on our Fontopia page. It's FYI Foundation SXM. Um, we have like online registration forms. And of course, on those social media platforms, we showcase a lot of our events and activities. So you could always just log on. 
Sweet. And like, how how can people donate through the website as well if they want to fund, like, help fund all the incredible work that you guys do? Yeah, we're trying to get all our projects up um, for our calendar year 2022 on our our website. And then uh, we have our, like, bank accounts and bank information listed so they could always donate. We'll have the donate button there. Lit. Well, there you have it, folks. Go out and support. Support young St. Martiners help save our culture. Because I one thing I will say is I really, I really am super proud to like call you my cousin because like you are really inspiring to me. Just as like a, the young, the young one in the fam. At least I don't even think I'm the young one in the fam anymore. The, our cousins be having babies out here. But like I'm just like I I feel so proud because I'm like I it makes me so happy to know that there's people out there really fighting for our culture because I feel like if we don't fight for it it's just going to die or dwindle away or just get forgotten and to me like everything about St. Martin is something worth being protected and valued and it makes me so happy as a young St. Martiner to know that we have people out there that are like really championing our culture that are fighting to preserve it and I want you to know like I I'm always here in the background lurking, but like just in awe of all the amazing things that you do because it's so important to our culture. And I don't know if people tell you this enough, but you are a cultural icon, okay, out here just showing the world what it means to be a St. Martiner and why it's so special. And I really, really and truly appreciate that. So please continue fighting the fight. I know it's a hard one and there's so many annoying people in the way. But it's so important. Like, it's so important. And I, I hope, hopefully, as the years go on, more people realize, like, how valuable what we have is. Because, trust me, when you're not in St. Martin, like, I'd be desperate for anything tied to the island, I swear. <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. But I appreciate it. I appreciate the energy that you're giving me because that's what, like, kind of fuels it. It's like, sometimes you wonder, like, what are you doing all of this for? And you you think about your legacy, what you want to leave behind. Because those before me, whatever they left, they were doing it with the same intention. That's why we know what we know now. And what if everybody that's doing something, like, beautiful and amazing have that same intention? St. Martin could be even bigger than Jamaica. I'm just putting it out there. because I mean, I believe it. We talented, we talented. We have our Bob Mollies over here too, you know. But um, preach, yeah. It's all about love for self. Number one, who are you? And I'm a Saint Martin person. I'm from Saint Martin, and love for country. And I hate when people say, "Oh, Saint Martin don't got no culture." And I'm like, "Uh, uh-uh. uh, that's not right." We have so much culture that you don't see it because you don't want to see it, or you have no understanding of what culture is. Preach. But St. Martin has so much is unbelievable because I'm working in that realm every day I'm seeing something amazing pop up every day and it's because they're not seeing it it's not like plastered like can the government do more of course they could do way more but at the end of the day we are gonna do it for we and we can't rely on the government exactly and especially if they're changing every (laughs) they're changing every few years you know, they, 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 they don't have the time to execute what they really want to do. So it's like it's up to the people because at the end 100%. of the day, the people is not changing. We are not changing. This is our home. We're not going anywhere. And there's no dollar bill connected to our national pride of who we are. You know, we do it because that is who we are. You know, it's not because they're in a position to do it and they get it paid. We have to do it because we have to live. We have to survive. 
And that at the end of the day, I will always be me and I would always invest in the youth because this is our people. And if we don't have that national pride, if we don't instill it in our young people, the cycle will continue. Oh, they don't, they don't know nothing about the country. They're not patriotic. We're not nationalists. It's like, did you try to teach them? You try, you try to have a conversation with them about our history? Did you give them TV shows to learn about their culture? No. So what did you expect? Like, I 100% agree, which is why I do this podcast, which is why I'm trying to build a YouTube channel, because I want to do it for our culture, like, more than anything. Like, we need it. We need it. Like, our people. Exactly. Them. Exactly. exactly. We do it for tomorrow because we have to create the reality we want to exist in. And I'm so we happy that God gave me that opportunity to live the life I, I can't do the 9 to 5. I tried. It's not for me. Like, it was killing <laughs> my soul. I was I depressed. Was, <laughs> I can't do it. I feel, I I feel that. And all my bosses, they, they love my work ethic. I do really good work, but I can't sit behind another computer and do no work for you. Let me sit outside on the beach and do that for you. I'm happy, but you're going to let me do it. So I got to go. So that was, that's that. That's that. <laughs>